I'm Mary Parker, and welcome to this episode of Eureka's Sounds of Science. by Oliver Jonas, PhD and scientific founder of Kyber Medical. Oliver's research has focused on treating live tissues within their native microenvironment, including the use of implantable micro devices. These devices have up to 20 reservoirs that can each contain a different substance, which can be implanted in cancerous tumors. Charles River has announced a strategic partnership with Kyber, so I was curious to find out more about these devices and Oliver's research in general. Welcome, Oliver. I guess, hi, Mary. It's nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you, too. I'm excited to hear more about these things. So first off, can you tell me a bit about your background? How did you come to this field? Uh, yeah, so I'm a biophysicist and biomedical engineer by training. I did my PhD on cell mechanics and tissue mechanics, and then did my postdoctoral work with Bob Langer at MIT, working on drug delivery. And that's really where I started working on the Kyber technology, or what became the Kyber technology and was able to work with Bob and also with Michael Sima on designing these first prototypes, figure out how we can achieve localized delivery into tumors for many different compounds at the same time. You know, the work that came out of this became the, the implantable micro device. We've since used it in a number of different tumor types, both in animals and in patients, and are also using it in different disease indications like Alzheimer's now. So the work has come a long way. You know, my interest started, I guess, on the scientific side, uh, but now has uh, has really translated into the clinical side as well. Were you always into science? Was this definitely your definite career path that you had in mind? For me personally, it's always been, I've always liked science. I've always liked technical things. And so I can't say for sure I always wanted to do this my whole life, but I can say <laughs> I've always been interested in it. And it's, and it's not surprising that I ended up working on this. Cool. So what was the origin of these micro devices? So I think the origin was really the realization, you know, that the way things are being done currently in how we choose therapies for cancer patients and also on how we develop new drugs for cancer patients, that system that's in place is not really working out so well, that it's very inefficient, that it, that it takes a very long time to develop a new cancer drug, that it takes an exorbitant amount of money, and that a lot of that, of that difficulty comes from the fact that we learn only very late in the development process that a potential drug does not really work the way we thought it does um, and that it's not as effective you know, as we expected. And so all this time and money gets spent only to find out later what maybe we could have found out much earlier. And then in the patient setting, a similar, you know, similar problem, we go through these treatments with patients and a lot of the times they don't work and the patients lose time and their tumors progress. And if we could find a new way to identify the therapies that work best at the start, when the patient's tumor is still potentially responsive, mm -hmm. you know, that could make a big difference. Yeah, because some cancers have different drugs that are able to treat it. And I guess doctors just kind of have to make their best guess in terms of what'll work for each individual patient. These devices could help with that. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So f for many drugs that are used in, in our clinical treatment of patients, we don't have a good predictive biomarker. So mm -hmm. we don't know ahead of time if this drug is going to work in this particular patient. And oftentimes what that means is the patient gets treated for three to six months, and then we see how things go. And mm -hmm. if they don't go well, then we try a second drug and maybe a third line. And by that time, obviously, the patient has lost you know, valuable time. They're exposed to toxicity uh, from those treatments. And oftentimes, there's, you know, there's no benefit. And so I think there's really a, almost a desperate need to find a more efficient way to choose therapy. 
and there's been the promise of genomics, you know, doing that. And I, and I think that promise has been partially fulfilled in some cancer types for some drugs. Mm-hmm. But there's still the vast majority of patients do not benefit currently from genomically guided um, treatment selection. And so there's a tremendous amount of, of room for improvement that's left. Yeah. And that's why we think this actually testing drugs directly in the tumor at the microdose level where you don't have the toxicity, you know, that's where that could really make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And also it's more a targeted approach, I suppose, getting it right in there. Exactly. Yeah. We're kind of jumping around in the order of questions I had planned and that's totally fine. But I'm wondering if you had a patient, could you take some of their cells and test them and grow them in a dish and then test the device in those cells without dosing the patient? Would that give you usable results? You know, that's really been, you know, the bread and butter of cancer research for a long time is to mm-hmm. essentially take out cells, to culture them, to treat them with different drugs in in vitro. And that has led to some very valuable advances. There's been, you know, a lot of the current research is still based on, on these in vitro studies and then on a limited number of animal studies. It's also the case that, that the tumor cells and then also the tumor microenvironment behaves very differently in the petri dish than it does in the actual patient. It's just not as simple as taking out the cells and growing them and then expecting those results to predict what happens in the patient when you have the tumor cells in a, in a very complex microenvironment. And that really hasn't been replicated faithfully outside of the patient. Yeah, we'll get into the microenvironment in a minute, but can you first describe how these micro devices look and work? I saw a picture and it looks like a little teeny tiny nail. Yeah, that's right. So they're essentially shaped like a cylinder. They're very small, about the size of a grain of rice. And the cylinder has 20 reservoirs on its, on its mantle, and each reservoir can be filled with a different drug or combinations of drugs. And then the front side of it has a pointed tip to minimize tissue damage on the way in, and then the back side of it has a sort of mechanical anchor so that the device doesn't move in the tissue. And so you're right, it does actually look like a, like a miniature nail. <laughs> so can you explain the benefit of using multiple microdoses to treat a tumor like, can you imagine a scenario where multiple drugs in one tumor would be beneficial to the patient? So I think the major purpose of the microdevice isn't necessarily to cure the tumor. I think it's to determine which therapies will work best. And then you can administer those therapies systemically in the traditional way. But then you're only giving it to patients that are going to be likely responders. And so the advantage, of course, of having 20 of these microdoses and having them spatially separate in the tumor so you can measure each each response separately is to understand which of them or which combination of them gives you the highest anti-tumor effect and where that patient has the highest sensitivity so that they can have the best response in the systemic treatment setting. But like a tumor is not uniform all the way through and here we can get into kind of the micro environment. So how does that fit into figuring out which would be the best medicine to use by means of these micro devices? The way that we think is best to address it is by doing multiple of these measurements throughout the tumor. Okay. So we always have multiple devices that are placed in the same tumor that measure the response in different microenvironments. And that has two advantages. I mean, one, it, it lets us sort of average the response across different regions. And that's important for the reasons you mentioned. Mm-hmm. But then the second aspect, which I think is lost in a traditional systemic study, is that you can learn a lot when you examine why there are different responses to the same treatment in different regions of the tumor. Mm-hmm. And we made some um, some findings that are published in different papers already um, showing how different factors in the tumor microenvironment can contribute to drug resistance. And if you dose an entire tumor, 
given what we already know about how drugs are distributed very unevenly in tumors. So mm-hmm. It depends on the vasculature. It depends on you know, the microenvironment, different cell types, on hypoxia. So you're getting very uneven drug distribution in traditional systemic dosing. Mm-hmm. And so if there's a given region of the tumor that's not responding, then you don't necessarily know, is it because the drug didn't get there or is it because there's some inherent resistance? Mm. And with our localized approach, we have a very precise and controllable drug release so that if we see different responses in different regions, then we can go in and look at what contributes to either response or resistance and understand that better. And then eventually apply that knowledge to how we treat patients systemically. Okay. Well, speaking of localization, we've talked a bit about this on another episode of the podcast, but can you explain what the tumor microenvironment is? I would say in basic terms that the tumor microenvironment consists of all the cell types that make up a tumor. So in addition to the cancer cells, mm-hmm. which in some tumors are actually 10% or less of the total cells in a tumor, there's many other other cell types like immune cells, uh, macrophages, stromal cells, mm-hmm. and they sort of coexist in this ecosystem almost, where they sort of protect each other. And some of these um, cells in the microenvironment can excrete, you know, growth hormones and other signaling molecules that can actually lead to more tumor growth. You know, there's other cell types, of course, that are are suppressive, and we want to stimulate those. It's a very complex mix of tumor cells, of other cells, and then all the spatial interactions between them. Okay. So this device, in relation to the microenvironment, basically gives you a more comprehensive picture of what different drugs could do in different areas, and that includes areas within the microenvironment, like how it responds to those different cells. Yeah, that's right. And I think what people have really started to appreciate more in the last five to 10 years, say, of cancer research is that the tumor microenvironment contributes greatly Mm -hmm. to tumor genesis, to tumor progression, and also to the therapy response. Mm -hmm. You know, we're now recognizing that it's not just enough to kill the cancer cells or some of them, you also have to make sure that the changes that your drug is causing to the microenvironment is also beneficial. Yeah, that makes sense because I know that, you know, some cancers can be caused by specific gene mutations or or something like that. And maybe you could sequence the, the patient's genes and figure out what exactly that mutation is and give them a drug related to that mutation. But it might not work as well for them as a different patient because of their body chemistry or the microenvironment itself, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. One example, you know, people take out tumor tissue a lot from patients through biopsies, for example, and then they grow them Mm -hmm. in vitro. What you find is that some cell types, for example, the cancer cells, they grow much more rapidly and they proliferate. But you have other Mm -hmm. cell types like immune cells. I mean, certain T cells, for example, that don't like to grow in a Petri dish. Mm-hmm. And so if you wait a couple of days and these tumor cells, sometimes they can, you know, they have a very, very rapid growth rate. So if you wait two to three days, the composition of your, of your different cell types in your Petri dish is already very different from what it was when you took it out of the patient. So these things can change rapidly Yeah, and you have differential effects on different cell types. It's another reason to actually do this in the native microenvironment. So have you started using these micro devices in patients? Yes, we have. We currently have six ongoing clinical studies in different cancer types. Oh, wow. I think the latest number is about 110 devices that have been implanted in patients. And we're starting to show now some very promising early results on the efficacy of these devices and on their value in predicting outcomes, in addition to an excellent safety profile, which is also really important. As always in, in medicine, we need larger randomized trials to you know definitively show efficacy. Mm-hmm. But I think we're on a good path to get there. That's awesome. Congrats. 
So I understand you have a lab at Brigham and Women's Hospital, and uh, according to your lab site, you're also working on some advanced imaging techniques. Do these help track how well the devices are working within the tumor? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, so part of the rationale for working on those is to be able to integrate them eventually with this microdose drug delivery to be able to measure in real time how these tumors respond. So what that would enable us to do is to not have to remove the tissue afterwards anymore to analyze it in the lab, mm-hmm. but to essentially be able to analyze it directly in the patient. And that can be really important, for example, if you're measuring immune responses, because those can involve cells that are recruited from elsewhere in the tumor or even elsewhere in the body. And being able to track those, those immune cells and how they contribute to the anti-tumor response together with, for example, a cytotoxic or a targeted drug. Mm-hmm. That can be really valuable, and that's basically sort of lacking a lot from our knowledge of of how these drugs are acting clinically. I mean, we mm-hmm. um, sometimes get snapshots at specific time points. For example, some of these patients in early clinical studies now are going on on-treatment biopsies, but those are only giving you a single snapshot in time. So what are some of your students working on from your lab? You know, we have a real uh, sort of mix and, and diversity of people in the lab here. We have biomedical engineers who are are working more on the device side. We have an optical engineer who's focusing on the optical applications. We have biologists who are interested in the, you know, studying the tumor microenvironment and understanding, for example, immune responses better. And then we have a clinician, actually, one of our instructors here is actually an interventional radiologist who does both clinical practice and research. So we have a real mix of, of basic scientists, of engineers, and of clinicians that work together. Perfect. I love an interdisciplinary approach. It always makes for better science, in my opinion. Yeah, that's totally right. And I think in this in this particular case here, because there are so many different facets to this project, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's the only way to make progress. So what are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years? I mean, I think the big goal is to really advance this technology, this approach into clinical practice and to be able to help patients in more efficient therapy selection in reducing inefficient or ineffective therapies that are toxic and that are not going to help patients, and then also to really enable a more efficient drug development uh, process, right? Yeah. right? To be able to test these compounds much earlier in patients, much more safely at, at lower tox, and to be able to eliminate compounds that don't work earlier and to be able to push compounds that do work and to optimize them so that they will work in, in larger systemic studies. I think that's yeah. sort of a, a two-pronged approach and I'm and I'm passionate and excited about both of them. Yeah. We didn't really mention this, but I would assume these devices would be helpful along most of the steps of the drug development process, not just clinical trials. Yeah, that's right. I think that, I think that's right. I mean, I think we're even now at a stage where we're hoping to use the microdevice platform to test compounds that have never been tested in patients before as a sort of phase zero approach, a uh, early clinical study that provides efficacy data before you even enter a phase one. So I think that has that has great potential, and it's clearly a, a major milestone for many companies that are developing these compounds, you know, to be able to get early human data much earlier, much faster, and much more cheaply than they would be able to in the traditional approach. All right. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Oliver. This has been really interesting, and these sound like a really cool way to test new cancer drugs. I'm excited about them. Okay, great. Thank you. It was great talking to you, Mary. Thank you.